0: Hello and welcome to Founders Keepers, the leader's podcast that puts sports industry entrepreneurs in the hot seat and asks them what, when, how, and mainly why. My name is James Emmett and joining me on today's episode is Chatri Sidgitong, the founder and CEO of One Championship, the MMA series that positions itself as Asia's largest global sports media platform, broadcast as it is, in over 190 countries. A lifelong martial artist, Chatry founded one championship in 2011 and has built it to the point at which it is now recognised by Nielsen as one of the world's top 10 biggest sports media properties in terms of viewership and engagement. There is theatre in fight sports, more of it arguably outside the ring than in it. And like all good promoters, Don King, Dana White, Eddie Hearn, Chatry has an innate understanding of this. He is one's frontman as well as its driving force. A showman, he is the star of a Netflix One Championship version of The Apprentice, the second season of which is being released later this year. But unlike other Apprentice hosts or fight sports promoters, his style isn't brash and confrontational, but collected and considered. Chatry's story is inextricably linked to the business he founded. His values are the values that one championship was built on. Born in 1971 and raised in Thailand, Chatry emigrated to the US with his family as a youngster. Abandoned by his father, Chatry's family lost almost everything in the Asian financial crisis of the 1990s. It's here that Chatry's rags to riches tale really begins. Taking any job he could he clawed his way up through the US higher education system and eventually went to Harvard Business School. In his final year at Harvard his mother came to live with him in his dorm room. He became a financial entrepreneur in Silicon Valley and through what he describes as a combination of luck, perseverance and determination, pulled his family out of poverty, put his brother through school and bought his mother a house. By 2011, he was done with financial services and ready to pursue a new dream, starting a global sports body built on a clear mission and some core values, to unleash real-life superheroes, tell stories, celebrate values, ignite dreams, inspire nations, and change the world. No small mission then. Here is Chatri Sijitong. Chatri Siddhattong, thank you very much for being with us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Chatri, you're a man, you're a traveling man. Um, where do we find you today?
1: Today I'm in New York City. Uh, just arrived a couple of days ago, still uh, suffering from bad jet lag. You know, after a 20 plus hour flight and then a 12 hour time difference, um, I was last in Thailand. So actually maybe 13 hour time difference.
0: What what do you do? What's your tip for um for traveling and jet lag? Are you do you try and stay on the same time zone, or do you do you have a sort of trick for getting into it? I'm probably the worst uh
1: person to ask for advice on that on that because I don't know. I, I'm getting worse and worse at recovering from jet lag. I used to be able to do it when I was younger, and and it didn't matter when I slept or when I. But now it's like my body clock is just you know um, so I usually. It doesn't matter what time Atlanta, I land. I within a few hours. I, I just whatever seat I'm in. I just like pass out. So uh, and, then, and then I kind of slowly, you know, get my rhythm going. You know, try to figure out. Um, but luckily, I don't need to sleep that
0: much in general uh, as a person, so it's not too bad. Good to hear it. Um, so Chatri, you're wearing the brand, um, which is good to to see. You're the you're the founder of One Championship. When you meet people, um, when you meet strangers, Chhatri, um at all your swanky um, dinner parties that you go to, how would you introduce yourself? I usually just say, uh,
1: my name is chatri and uh, I work at a company called One. That's my usual,
0: yeah. And then they say, One, what's that? Yeah,
1: then I say, it, it's uh, the world's largest martial arts organization and uh, Asia's largest global sports media property.
0: Mm-hmm. But tell us where we are with one now. What What is it beyond Asia's largest sports media property? Um, yeah, what, what is it in a nutshell?
1: So the best way to think about it is, you know, every region of the world has several multi-billion dollar sports properties that are part of the fabric of culture, history, and daily life. So if you go to Europe, it's EPL, it's Champions League, it's F1. You go to America, it's NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, and the like. Before I started one, there was literally nothing coming out of Asia on a global basis or on a pan-Asian basis for that matter. Um, and yet, martial arts, you know, has been part of the history of Asia for the last 5,000 years. In, f- in fact, Asia is the birthplace of martial arts. And um, so, you know, I had the... I Looking back now, it was crazy. At the time, I'm, I'm glad I was naive. I didn't know how hard it would be to pull this thing off. But, you know, according to Nielsen now, we're ranked in the top five... Largest global sports media properties in terms of viewership and engagement numbers across platforms, whether it's TV or digital or social. And and that for me is, it blows my mind because we only started the company, I only started the company um, 11 and a half years ago. So for us to be, you know, amongst uh, the largest properties in the world like EPL, like NBA, uh, and like F1, is mind boggling to me. I'd say that, you know, it was a confluence of a lot of hard work, but a lot of luck as well. You know, we we were born right in the, the, the exponential growth of the digital economy when the global economy truly uh, became digital. And obviously, COVID accelerated that as well in the past few years. But social media, digital media, all those things were just literally um, never before could fans all over the world access content you know at, at such scale so we've been very lucky in that in that regard
0: so one championship sort of born in this era of digital explosion new ways for people to find and consume things that they're interested in um You talked about the kind of the seeds of the idea and looking around Asia with its, uh, you know, love for martial arts across all sorts of different countries in the region, but nothing kind of unifying them and no one, no one championship there. Talk us through how the, you know, before the birth of one championship, as you were developing the idea How did you take it from that initial kind of, oh, that's quite interesting to, yes, this is a business and I am all in on this? I think the fact that
1: I didn't have any sports media experience helped a lot. Because if I had known what I was getting myself into, I don't think I ever would have started one. But it's kind of like the heart and the mind melding together. My heart said, you know, as a lifelong martial artist, I've been doing martial arts for 38, 39 years as a student, a competitor, a teacher, a coach, you name it, and now a CEO. And, you know, it's my greatest love, my greatest passion in life ever since I was a little kid uh, growing up in Thailand. And I naively thought that just do what you love and there's a big TAM. I, I, I genuinely thought, look around the world, all these big sports properties, of course, all these big sports properties took 70 to 100 years to build because it takes that long to build a, a truly global sports property. And again, like I said, if I had worked in the sports media industry, if I had worked for an NBA or, or a Champions League or, or an EPL, I don't think I would have started. I wouldn't have had the, the guts. It was like I was naive. I saw a big economic opportunity. I had no idea how hard it would be to pull off. As a lifelong martial arts, I thought, look, martial arts is truly a global phenomenon. Whether it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Bruce Lee or or Jet Lee or Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, uh, millions of parents all over the, the globe send their kids to martial arts schools, not to learn violence or fighting, but to learn all the incredible values that martial arts teaches, whether it's integrity, humility, honor, respect, courage, discipline, compassion. Um, and of course, you can defend yourself, and that, that's what people learn martial arts. But... The first three years were a complete disaster. Um, I, I Rejected from every single broadcaster, rejected from every investor, rejected from every brand, every government. Uh, even employees would say yes verbally in accepting a job offer, but the next day they'd talk to their family and then they come back and say, sorry, you know, I can't join a sports startup. It, it just, it was really that crazy. So I, I suffered from... I don't even know, thousands of rejections uh, in the first three years, uh, failure after failure. And then if you said to me, you know, 11 and a half years into the journey, you'll be ranked amongst the biggest sports properties, according to Nielsen, right? In terms of viewership numbers and fan base across all platforms. The odds of us being here is less than 1% of 1%. That I can tell you.
0: Yeah. Why do, why do you say... Had you worked in sport, you never would have done this. And, and, and clearly, you you probably anticipated that there would be challenges in setting it up, and it takes a certain resilience to go through that, right? But why what were the challenges, I guess that you you didn't foresee, that you might have foreseen had you been working in sport?
1: Um, again, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I was just naive. I, I just thought to myself, this is my greatest passion in life. No one's ever tried to attempt this in Asia around the martial arts genre, and yet it was a huge, massive economic opportunity. So I was very naive. But had I worked in the sports media industry, I would have realized quickly how difficult it actually is to pull it off, you know, to build a platform. It's a chicken and egg. Ask—I mean, Today we're broadcast live on every Friday in 179 countries, and most of those countries is prime time. I just didn't realize how hard or, or how precious, rather, prime time slot is. Of course, I did as a fan watching different sports properties. But to convince a broadcaster to put your content in prime time on a Friday night is precious, precious real estate. At the same time, you know, it's a chicken and egg. You have to drive strong TV ratings or, or digital ratings or on streaming. Uh, you have to have strong engagement. But if you don't have a roster, how are you going to do that? If you don't have a roster of the very best world champions, right, like we do today. I mean, today truly, you know, one is the world's largest martial arts organization, but it also has the best roster of world championship martial arts on the planet, full stop, from around the world. 50% of our roster comes to the West. 50% of our roster comes from the East uh, across a a variety of disciplines. So mixed martial arts, kickboxing, Muay Thai, submission grappling, and the like. Um, And that's just, you know... Trying to build a platform, then trying to convince investors. You know, we, I've raised about five hundred fifteen million dollars. I, I didn't know it would be. It would take this much money. Uh, you know, if some if you had told me beforehand, you're going to have to raise five hundred fifteen million dollars. I, I would have been like, that's 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 impossible. Uh, you know, and then uh, to be in one hundred seventy countries, and we're we're with the largest broadcasters now in every region. So. If you go to Latin America, Brazil, we're on Globo and Kombache. If you go to uh, US, we're on Amazon Prime, you know, 200 million subscribers. Uh, If you go to uh, Middle East, we're on Bean Sports, you know, uh, almost 60 million subscribers. If you go to Channel 7 in Thailand, you know, it's the number one broadcaster with 50% of the audience share of the entire country, and we're in prime time. You go to Australia, it's the same thing. You you go to Japan, you go to China, we're on Tencent, IG, all the biggest platforms. The list goes on and on. And it's just mind-boggling that I could actually think that I could go country by country and convince those broadcasters to actually air the content, when at the time, all I had was a business plan, like a piece of paper. And I have to say, a lot of lucky things happened along the way for me to be sitting here, because like i said the odds of one championship being a top 5 global sports property today is generally less than 1% of
0: 1% and you're right you're right to talk about primetime being such you know that that's the premium thing and uh, at least from the outside from a sports media perspective the trick that one championship has pulled off you know the fundamental engine driving its success, right, is the fact that you're on you're on in so many countries. You have so many broadcast partners and therefore so many people tuning in, right? And I and I always remember in the journey of one championship, like going to Sportel, you know, having been to Sportel every year for however many years. There's always a cycle with new sports where like there's an initial excitement clearly this new sports come in and spending some money on a big stand at sportel all these industry people are kind of oh, what's this all about but then like you know there's 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 always the sort of that that hype cycle curve right everyone gets excited and then they get disappointed there's the trough of despair and it plateaus out at something kind of slightly underwhelming one championship is just sustained right it came in strong and it's still going. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and and the crazy thing, our numbers keep going up exponentially
1: in every country. I mean, it is insane. Like, I look at our digital, uh, you know, viewership. I look at social. I look at our, our TV ratings. I look at, you know, the number of news articles out there written about one in every country. It's like, it, it's just skyrocketing. It's, I, I can't explain it. It's exponential. Now now I'm, I'm at the point where I really do don't understand, you know, again, like my Navidad, of course I understand our, our, that, you know, we're a very different product. We're a very different brand. We're, we're family safe. Uh, we, we represent authentic martial arts and the very best on the planet. And we try to share values that, um, you know, families can embrace and, and tell stories that inspire humanity and, you know, of our world champions overcoming impossible odds or adversity, tragedy, poverty, whatever it may be. Um, I get all that at a at a you know base level, but when I see all these metrics, I'll give you an example. I just saw a metric for us yesterday that has our organic online video views. In the last several years alone, it's gone up one hundred and twenty thousand x. So not one x, not two x, not three x. Uh, so I don't even know how to calculate in my in my brain, you know and and this year we're going to do something like 35 billion organic video views organic not paid it's just like us posting videos around the world on different platforms and numbers just exploding and what's crazy is these numbers keep growing it's like mushrooms it's like so it's gotten to the point where it's become a a real global movement i'd say with our fans that somehow it's resonating in all these different countries in the eastern hemisphere but also in the western hemisphere and that's why I said it's it's like uh, it's um if you had said this to me even five years ago we'd be where we are today. It's less than one percent of le- of one percent. It just it doesn't make any sense. It there's no logic. Yes, I had to go through three horrible years, the first three years of of, of thousands of rejections and failures. But I did it because I loved martial arts and I and I truly believed in what we we're doing. Our mission as a company is to unleash real life superheroes who ignite the world with hope, strength, dreams, and, and inspiration. It wasn't about the biggest pay-per-view dollars or we, I tried to think of something that would be a true expression of my soul. This is, you know, as a lifelong martial artist, I just felt this is my life calling and why was I doing this? So I think one thing that got me through, not just my naivete, is that I had a very clear why. So I think there's a, I think it was Frederick Nietzsche who said, any man can suffer through anything if he has a why. And because I I felt truly in my heart that this was my calling, this is why I was born, is to bring martial arts truly at a global scale in its authenticity, in a positive light with heroes, that even the darkest moments, I did what I loved and I really believed, even though the entire world told me they didn't believe, right? Broadcasters, brands, investors, governments, uh, potential employees it was uh it was a nightmare
0: mm-hmm. you know when people um, quote a philosopher they always say I think it was this philosopher who said they know it was that philosopher who said there's no thinking about it you knew it was Nietzsche um, i anyway. actually actually I don't I, let ah. me, let's let, let me it was it was google it yeah yeah
1: start with the why okay got it no the reason why I say I, I say I'm one of those guys who who I think it's because I read a lot. Uh, you know, uh, I have a lot of philosophers I, I, I read about, and so I get it muddled up often. Uh, who said what and what philosophy? <laughs> and so, you,
0: you talk about the three year, the three years of pain, right? In the build phase, um, well, in the launch phase, and then the build phase. What was the turning point? What was the breakthrough where where you suddenly thought, yes, this has all been worth it?
1: So at the end of three years, I called my mother and she's a Japanese lady. I'm half Thai, half Japanese, even though I grew up in Thailand as a kid. And I was basically, I had it. I called her and I'm like, mom, I'm I'm thinking about quitting. I'm thinking about shutting the business down because I'm just getting countless rejections and there's just the business going nowhere. And I've been at it for three years, uh, with a very, very small team. And, uh, my mom just said to me, oh, great. Why don't you just quit then? And then I talked to her for a little bit more and I hung up the phone. I'm like, I was shocked that my mom was so flippant about it because she knows how much I love martial arts. Uh, and I think it's my mom's reverse psychology, right? By her saying that, I got I pissed. I was angry at my mom, but it made me reflect deeply about why did I start this business? Why am I doing this? Why am I? do I believe in it? You know, I, I went through all this kind of like existential questions and I came through I'm like I just truly believe in in what I'm doing. I truly believe in the economic opportunity. I, I married my mind with my heart. And I feel like I'm the entrepreneur to to pull this off. Uh, and I'm doing it for all the right reasons. I wasn't doing it for money. I wasn't doing it for economics. I wasn't I wasn't doing it for glory or fame. I'm doing it because I'm a lifelong martial artist. It's my greatest passion in life. And I and I felt there was a real economic opportunity to share. Um all these incredible martial arts from around the world and, and share their stories and their achievements. And uh, that's when, you know, we're running out of cash and I said, okay, what can I do? So once I crystallize my mind, there's no way I'm going to quit. I'm going to, no matter what, 1000% I'm all in and there's no, there's no giving up ever, ever. And if I lose all my money, I have to borrow money and it uh, doesn't matter. I, I, I was that kind of, that level of all in. And when you chart the rise of one, and you and you look at the, the rise of digital media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, etc., and you chart that with the rise of smart mobile devices, and you look at all the metrics of one, that's the reason why one is taken off. At the end of year three, I said, okay, everyone's rejecting us. We have to pivot. Put all of our great content online. The numbers exploded. And... We would show broadcasters, you know, these incredible numbers. We show them and broadcasters, okay, we'll try. We'll try to put you on. And one thing led to another. And then it's just, like I said, our organic video views in the last several years are up 120,000 X. So I don't even know what it was back then. But that to me was, hey, man, something's happening, right? Our content is being shared, liked, commented on every single day around the world. So that gave me the irony is you know I I started wanting to bring hope and inspiration to the world, but our fan base gave me the inspiration because I and hope you know it was like it was like I started it because I felt like if we have real life heroes and tell their stories, there's a way to elevate humanity, you know, to to dream more, do more, be more in life. But I didn't realize it's gonna be it is gonna be a a circular thing where because our fans loved our content, that's what woke me up that's what got me up every day like you know I can't give up there's something special I I have to do something about this right and I had to yell at, uh, uh, you know from my rooftop that hey man fans are loving one championship and I got to convince every government every investor every, every broadcaster every whoever right and, and that's what happened
0: Leaders Week London our annual sports biz extravaganza returns next month From Monday 16 to Thursday 19 October, the who's who of global sports business, technology and entertainment will gather for a series of events, awards and think tanks taking place all day, all night, all week across the city. Culminating in the flagship two-day summit at Twickenham Stadium, you'll have the opportunity to bounce ideas, connect and perhaps have a drink or two with any one of the 1800 senior decision makers that'll be in attendance at the home of England Rugby. Plenty going on and plenty of planning for us at Leaders HQ. You can find out more via leadersinsport.com forward slash leadersweek. And we hope to have you with us on 16th to 19th October as we once again bring the world of sport together. It's interesting when you, you talk about the um encounter with your mother there and her being quite sort of relaxed about the concept of you you just quitting, you know? And and clearly there's something in that easy quitting mentality that that switched something in you and made you realize no i'm not that kind of guy um and and it seems to me that that's something that drives you i wonder what the role of competition plays in your mentality as well in the in the mentality of her the brand and ethos of an organization because you talked earlier about the um I guess the brand of, of One Championship, what it stands for, the values, um, how it's a family-friendly product. You know, it's got an ethos and a spirit about it that is um, positive and, you know, stands in opposition to or differently to some of the other products out there in the market. And I know, you know, for many years, One Championship, can't, you can't avoid consumers comparing you with the UFC, for example, as much as you, you'll, you'll explain what the differences are that being said how much does competition drive you and how much you know do do you think it plays into the success of of, of one
1: today you know uh the combat sports industry is a global duopoly right with ufc having the lion's share of the western hemisphere and for us having the lion's share of the eastern hemisphere we are the two billion dollar plus giants if you will um, and according to Nielsen, you know, the, they came up with a, a global industry report on the sports industry about a, a year ago or so. And, uh, you know, we were the only two combat sports properties in the top 20. Actually, we were in the top 10. I think UFC was number nine. We were number four, uh, in terms of viewership numbers. And from that regard, it's a, it's not an industry where you have thousands or millions of competitors of the same size and, and scale and that, you know. It's it's a dog-eat-dog. Dog. Um, and and the fact that we are 180 degrees opposite in our brand or ethos compared to the UFC, I think that's made it very easy for fans to uh, gravitate to which one they wanted. But also, they could like enjoy both. I mean, the world is a huge place. You could, If you want to watch the greatest fighters in the world, on the planet, there's only two properties in which you would do that. It's one and UFC. Um, and... If for whatever reason you you were thinking about your family, your kids, your grandkids, and you want to have a family uh, outing, uh, you know, on, on TV or 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 uh, or go to a bar with friends and stuff, we're just the far safer product, if you will. Right? Our heroes are genuinely heroes. Of course, that's not to say they don't trash talk, but you can see that you know in the UFC many lines are being crossed where parents would not be proud of having their kids put up a poster of a Conor McGregor, right? As an example, uh, does he sell pay per view? Yeah, he does. But is he uh, a role model for society? Uh, I, I would. I don't think many parents would say. Uh, I think probably ninety nine percent of parents would say absolutely no way. Can you have that poster in your bedroom? So, versus our heroes, I think parents would love to have uh, posters of Angela Lee or whoever, Stamp Fairtex, or you know, Rotang. You know, they're better for. Uh, the values they represent, their life stories, not because they want their kids to become professional fighters, but because it's true martial arts and they're true martial artists and you're able to glean the lessons, life lessons that you can apply if you want to become a doctor in the future, a CEO in the future, an actor, an actress in the future, whatever your your dream is, you can apply their life stories and their values, their their grit, their resilience, and and, and all the values I talked about to yourself. And and again, that is why I... uh, you know, of course, people always compare one and UFC, um, but I think it's completely 180 degrees opposite of each other. I mean, especially the hardcores, they know that our brands are literally, and even if you look at the leaders, like, you know, me versus Dana, you know, uh, I'm a lifelong martial artist. Muay Thai, you know, is my primary art, but I've done jujitsu as well for 16 years, a brown belt under Henzo Gracie. I'm not a businessman. I've actually been a martial artist longer than I've been a businessman. Whereas, you know, Dana is, is is a businessman. You know, he's never done martial arts. Uh, he's done a little bit of boxing, a uh, uh, cardio kickboxing or something like that. Cardio boxing, I think. So it's a very different ethos and DNA in, in in everything. And the athletes know it. The fans know it. Um, and, and that's why, you know. And, and again, I do want to say that I have a tremendous amount of respect for a UFC uh, as a business. It's just that I don't agree with their brand ethos, you know. For us, it's 180 degrees opposite uh, of what we want to do. And I think that's why it's very important as an organization to have a very clear mission statement. You know, And we've had that since day one, this exact same mission statement as, as today. Literally, it's to unleash real-life superheroes who ignite the world with hope, strength, dreams, and inspiration. And that's never wavered. And I think when you have that, I, that's the only thing. I mean, UFC has been around for 30 years. We've only been around for 11 and a half years. And yet, we're neck and neck. I mean, some metrics are bigger than us. Some metrics, we're bigger than them. Uh, I think that's a testament to what our brand represents uh, what our heroes represent and, and why fans are, are you know can't get enough of, of one championship
0: mm-hmm. all right chatter if it's okay with you I'm gonna go to a quick fire round sure okay you might have seen these I sent these through. basically it's complete the sentence um, so one championship would never have happened without dot dot dot
1: without my best friend from Harvard.
0: name no.
1: Sora Mittal.
0: The sliding doors moment that could have led to a different path for me was? That phone call with my mother. If my mom had tried to convince me to continue,
1: I might have quit. Okay. Mother knows best <laughs> a contrarian. though, she knows. You am contrarian. I, I, I'm, You're a contrarian. Convinced, I mean... I'm convinced it was reverse psychology.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dot, 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 keeps me up at night.
1: Hiring the very best people um, across our 10 offices around the world, making sure that the culture is the best f- for the way we've built it. It's an inspiring culture, it's a tough culture, just like sports, a sports team, it's high-performance world championship culture, but people are generally inspired and happy. And, you know, I worry relentlessly about making sure we have the very, very best team in the world. Of course, I'm biased. I truly believe we do, but I'm the
0: founder. So take it with a grain of salt. My secret talent that not a lot of people know about is? My secret talent? Well, you know, I I really
1: have nothing. I can't sing. I can't dance. I I can't do much, but I love martial arts and that's all I do. So I literally, I'm I'm twenty four I'm working on martial arts, thinking about it, living and breathing it. And then I train two hours a day every day, uh, you know, six, seven days a week. Uh, so I'm trying to think what, what what is my other talent? I mean, uh, I guess you know I I do intermittent fasting and and uh, some people say it's super hard to fast for 24 hours. It's 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 a it's a walk in the park for me. Uh, I do also like you know hot sauna and uh, ice baths and and uh, I have a very high tolerance for pain, high pain tolerance. That ice baths and 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 hot saunas. It, it, I don't know. These things are very easy for me to do. Uh, maybe it's my martial arts training of, of putting mind over matter and ignoring physical pain, something that I've been
0: doing all my life. If a life coach genie could grant me one wish, what would it be? Um, to help me
1: with my greatest weakness, which is my temper. Uh, I think my passion has two sides of the same coin, or is two sides of the same coin. I have it's the passion it is why I'm relentless, why I have the grit and resilience, why I can go over overcome any obstacle to create to build one. But it's that same passion, that same intensity. When somebody doesn't deliver to the standard of excellence that I expect, you know, I, I I'm not the uh, I'm not the nicest person when I lose my temper. My approach to risk is dot, dot, dot. The greatest risk in life is actually not taking the biggest risk. We're all gonna die. And I think this is what people forget. Like if you are gonna live infinitely, then maybe you could live conservatively. But if you're gonna die anyways, then if you don't swing for the fences and you let your dreams die in the grave with you, you've missed the whole point of life. So people are like, oh man, it's so risky, what you've done with your life, this, that, the other, but I don't view it that way. I'm like, if I was working right now in a nine to five job that I hated, and somebody was paying me a lot of money, and I had nice cars and nice houses, let's just say, right, if I didn't choose this path, I'd be miserable. And instead, I yes, I suffered a lot, and I I, I continue to suffer for my dreams, but... I'm living the life of my dreams. This is what I love, you know, Um, and I don't want it any other way. So I feel like if you don't take risks in your personal and professional life, right? If you don't ask that girl that you want to marry, uh, to marry you, if you don't take these big risks in life, then you've missed the whole point of life.
0: Mm -hmm. That's the end of the quickfire round. Very good. Well done. Some good self-knowledge there, I'd say. Um... What's the, you, you obviously get interviewed a lot, um, and you're a public figure, and people ask you a lot of questions. What's the, what's the question you get asked the most?
1: Uh, well, it, I guess it has varied throughout the years. When it was in the earlier years, it would be, why are you doing this? <laughs> you literally like, are you an idiot, basically, uh, inferring that I'm an idiot? Nowadays, it's much more like, how did you do this? Like people want to know, like, like I said, the odds of one being where it is today is less than 1% of 1%. Truly, that's not a, a joke when I say that. So people want to know how, how did you build, you know, Asia's largest billion dollar sports property? People want to
0: know how. Mm hmm. And what's the, what's the end of the story for one? Well, what's the end of the story for you and one? Um, because, you know, we talked about UFC earlier. Obviously, that's gone through multiple iterations. The last time there was a change there, that was a $4 billion acquisition. Um, and all change in terms of the leadership. I mean, have you got a number, Chatri? No. Is that, is there? A, no. no. I, I'm, never do I, the thought of selling
1: has never crossed my mind. Ever. Zero, zero. This is what I'm meant to do. This is why I was put on earth. And I'm going to build this so that it lasts for generations and generations. And this is my legacy that I leave behind. You know, at the end of the day, all of us leave this earth. We all die. So for me, I've reduced, because I'm a minimalist, I've reduced life and, and, and the definition of success for myself to two basic things one is sharing love with those you love two is making an impact on as many lives as possible so, so for some people it's just your family for other people make me lucky you get to do your community some people get lucky to do your country and and people who are truly just blind lucky is someone like me I get to make an impact in the world so those I've really reduced it down to those two things and everything in my, in my life, uh, ro- uh, rotates around that. It's 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 the love I share every day with people I love, and the impact I make um, on my family, my friends, my country, uh, the world. And uh, you know, I I don't believe in material things. I, like I have one car, a Toyota, and I have one watch, a G Shock, because I feel like in many ways society. If you live by society's definition of success, you can be lost very quickly. You will think that having a big mortgage on a big house, having you know that Mercedes Benz or whatever car, you start thinking all those external things is success. But in reality, we all die. What matters most is: were did you live a fulfilled life by your definition? Did you love your life? Did you have hap- more happy days than sad days? Were you? When you go to the grave, will you have regrets that you never pursued what you love most, or that you never experienced true love because you were you were afraid? You know, uh, sorry to be so philosophical, but your questions are are are, are so original. You know, it's get, it's getting me very philosophical here. But it, it's how I live my life. I, I just I don't want to live by society's standards or someone else's expectations i want to live an intrinsic life and and for me this is what i love most and the fact that i get to do it every day i'm i'm truly blessed uh i, I don't define myself by by the standard things that society says it, it means your success
0: the material thing do, do you manage to do you manage to bring that ethos into how one champion, you know, how you manage the company or how your leaders, your leadership team manages the company, because you talked about, you know, what keeps you up at night is hiring the best employees for one championship. And I guess you want them to share at least the fundamental values of the organization, right? Knowing that everyone is different. Um, People are motivated by money by acquisition by capitalistic things, right? Not everyone. Um, You've got a really pure philosophy there. Do you try to sort of imprint that onto how the organization runs as well? Yes,
1: yes. I wouldn't say imprint. That's the wrong word. I would say I try to get everyone to introspect deeply about and this is during the hiring process. I don't want to hire people who want to join one for the wrong reasons. If they want to join for the glitz and glamour, the fame, and the fact that it's now you know the, uh, the world's fastest growing, growing uh, sports property, et cetera, et cetera, that's not why I want someone to join. I want someone to join because they're truly ignited by our mission. And this is the way I tell the team. I'm like, look, money is a byproduct, or, or rather money should be a byproduct of doing great work. You can only do great work if you truly believe and love what you do. And you'll make money because you'll become so indispensable to the world or to a company or whatever it is, right? So this is what I tell our our team. I said, you you know, at the end of the day, of course, I, as the boss, have to pay my people top dollar because if they're the best in the world, they can easily go somewhere else for, for more money. So I make sure they get paid the top dollar. But I also try to... Um, attract people who have the same kind of ethos I do where they want to do incredible, extraordinary work as opposed to they want to negotiate the highest pay package. See, one is a byproduct, one is uh, the goal, right? If your goal is just to make a lot of money, I don't think you will make a lot of money in life because you're missing the point. You have to add a lot of value to, to as many lives as possible before you make a lot of money. That's just, that's how the world economy works. You have to add value. So if you are in love with the process, you will invariably make money. If you're in love with the outcome, but you hate the process, you'll never make money,
0: never. You said earlier that you were, you know, you've been very lucky and you're living your dream. Do you think you live to work or work to live?
1: I I don't think in those terms because I wake up every morning inspired, ready to go, and I I can't wait to get up and get my day going. I go to bed at night not wanting to sleep because I'm so excited for everything that's happening, and that's seven days a week. I you know most days I genuinely don't know what day of the week it is. My life is my life. It's just one blob. And it happens to be around martial arts. Like I said, 24-7, my mind's about martial arts. And even what I do in my off hours, off hours being, you know, if I'm not working, I'm training. And um, so it's not work to me. I feel like everything is play. It's all melded into one. Like when I'm training martial arts for two hours, is that work? Or am I playing? Well, I think that's playing. If I'm at a major event, like, you know, we had an event here in the U.S. a couple months ago and I was sitting there in a stadium watching the fans go crazy and it was a sold-out show. It was insane for our first show in America. It was sold out several weeks before the, the actual event. That's playing. And then when I'm in meetings, you know, solving difficult problems in this country or that country or whatever it is, it's again, it's all play for me. So it's not that I work to live or live to work or whatever. it's I'm playing all the time. I truly feel like that kid like we we're all kids once upon a time playing in the sandbox. That's how I feel every day all day. like it's just I can't explain it. it's a feeling that it's like that doesn't go away. It's just I' I've very I've been very lucky that way that I found something that truly ignites my soul. That truly is linked to who I am. I want to. I think now this one. I, I again. I don't know if it's right. I think Mahatma Gandhi said, "Be the change in the world you want to see." Right. Something something along those lines. That that's my view. Yeah, I you know I want to create real life superheroes who who do good, who inspire the world and inspire humanity to dream more, do more, be more in life. I know it sounds corny, but at the core of it. I've had so many stories of fans reaching out to me on Facebook or Instagram or even in person at the events and how one championship changed their life. And and that, at the end of the day, that's why I'm here.
0: Mm. People who start businesses, especially businesses that go on to be super successful, you know, they often encounter big challenges. They've got a a steely kind of resilience within them, like a core belief. They're obviously, you know, they're brave, you, you know, their approach to risk, they obviously have an approach to risk and you've outlined that, but often to the kind of, uh, everyday person, anyway, it seems like they sacrifice a lot too, right? Like usually there are a lot of hours involved in it. Uh, often there's financial sacrifice, there's the sacrifice of you mentioned it earlier, if I want to have a steady nine to five job where I'm earning lots of money and getting lots of cars or whatever, I, that option was open. But people would, if you if you traded that in for something which was not guaranteed at all, people would see that as a sacrifice. What's your approach to sacrifice? Do you feel like you've sacrificed things? You know, I, I truly believe that suffering is
1: the path to greatness for all of us. I know it sounds crazy, but if you love something or love someone, you're going to suffer because there'll be good days, bad days, and ugly days with that someone or that something. But that process of going through good, bad, and ugly with someone or something, that brings out in us a lot of things that we didn't know about ourselves. You know, my life, I've been very fortunate to have been both in poverty and in wealth. And people ask me, you know, how can you be grateful for your days in poverty? I am truly grateful. I'm truly grateful because without my days in poverty, I wouldn't have the fire in my belly that I have today. I wouldn't have the grit and resilience. I wouldn't have the compassion and empathy I do uh, for our athletes who come oftentimes from poverty. So... Poverty gave me amazing life lessons. Wealth, the same thing. Wealth has given me a different perspective and also a lot of good, bad, and ugly. But suffering through everything for something you love, something you believe in, that is life. The other way to suffer is doing something you hate and getting all the external accolades, but you hate it. That is suffering too, right? So... Either you suffer for something you truly love, truly believe in, or you suffer for something you don't love or don't believe in, you're going to suffer. So I would rather risk failure at something I love than be guaranteed success at something I hate. And if we don't listen to our inner voices or we don't take time to think about what we truly want in life, well, society has an easy path for you. You go to this school, you go to that school, you you, you get this job, you get, you have this house, you'll have this car, and you're just like blindly following. But then, when you're 80 years old or 90 years old on your deathbed, did you really live your life, or was that just the easy the path of uh, of least resistance? So, um, I'm very—I don't know—from a very young age, I always read a lot about philosophers. About poetry, I read a lot about um, biographies of of extraordinary human beings who did great things, like Nelson Mandela or Muhammad Ali, or uh, you know, Michael Jackson or, or Michael Jordan or anybody who did it. that. Was just when I was a kid, I was always fascinated by that, and uh, that's when I I, I I realized over time being very philosophical, reading a lot about history, that somehow I just didn't want to live a life that was extrinsic. I wanted to live a life that was intrinsic.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's quite that's quite a Catholic um, mentality, that, on suffering, I think. This idea that, with well, the Catholic mentality is, you know, you're not worthy, so you must suffer. You must punish yourself in order to become worthy. Um, and there's a lot of links with sport in general there, I think. You know the idea. Well, you know Buddhism.
1: You, you, Buddhism. Um, Buddhists believe life is suffering. Life is suffering. Not necessarily. I am not worthy, but Buddhists believe life is suffering. So again, whatever path you take, there will be suffering. So you might as well suffer for what you love. That's my personal thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Chatur, it's been um, really fascinating talking to you. Before I let you go. Um, one more question and it's a sort of entrepreneurial question. And that is if I was going to force you uh, physically force you chatry, obviously I wouldn't be able to do that, but uh, if I could um, to start a successful business from the ground right now, another one, what would it be? What area would it be in?
1: And it, it couldn't be in sports. I have to do some, something out.
0: No, no, it can be in anything. It could be in anything. It could be the two championship, whatever. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, when I travel all over the world, I, I see so many different cultures, so many different lifestyles, and so many different economic well-being that I would love to start a an organization that truly I know it sounds corny, but alleviate the injustices of poverty, of healthcare, of education, of gender. You know, uh because I see everywhere I travel, I just feel like there's so much in just some, you know, one country would be like have all the food and like, you know, you come to America, land of excess. There's so much of everything. And then you go to India and you just go to a rural village and you see, they don't even have a basic water. So I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if it's a business or if it's not profit, but I feel like there's a huge opportunity. See, as an entrepreneur, I always look at what is and why can't it be better right like the naivete why can't I build a global sports project from scratch who who says it, it can't be done I look at that too as all these injustices, all these inequalities you know somebody at some point in mankind's history will figure it out and will have a massive impact on the world. So I think that whatever I choose, you know, if if for whatever reason I I left one, which I would never I never would, I'd want to again have that kind of same ethos of sharing love with those I love and, and making an impact. So that is who I am, and that's what I value. I don't value houses and cars and watches and all these material things. I just don't like. I don't know when I when I walk down Fifth Avenue here in in, in New York all these expensive shops and all the, I look at I'm just I, I don't know I, I'm perplexed by why everyone wants to buy all these things uh I'm just perplexed
0: yeah it's an addiction isn't it consumerism is an addiction um but yeah uh Chhatri, we're going to leave it there it's been absolutely fascinating thank you so much for your time